Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 11, hopefully, hopefully you're there. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into the text uh, in, in, in just a moment. I, I, was, I was a youth minister from 2002 uh, to 2009, uh, and, and I started off right after, right after graduating from AM. I, I was in Pearland, uh, just south of Houston, for about 18 months, and my, my youth ministry, I was at a little church plant, and my, the youth ministry consisted of three kids. Um, no, 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 check this out. All, all siblings. <laughs> It was it was two two brothers and a and a sister. Like, talk about an awkward youth ministry, right? Like, bro, who who is your accountability partner? <laughs> My sister. Um, and then. Uh, after that, we were, we were in Angleton. Uh, we moved back to my hometown for about six years, and I was a youth minister there. And, and uh, I'll never forget, there, there was a, a youth, you know, we did the youth camp thing every year. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, about 15 years ago, we were at a, we were at a student life camp. And my, my friend Neil McClendon had just, he just preached this, like, just powerful gospel message, and, and, and teenagers all over the sanctuary were, were responding to the gospel. They were responding to Jesus, and just even among our own group, you, you had students that were confessing sin, you had students that were praying with adult volunteers, praying with one another, and it was this, this powerful, powerful moment, but after about 20 minutes or so, the camp staff got, they got on stage and they interrupted the moment. They interrupted everything and they made it the announce, they made this announcement that they said, hey, we need to clear the room. We need to go ahead and get everybody cleared out uh, because we need to prepare for our transition uh, to, to messy games. <laughs> what? Are, are you kidding me? And, and this, that, that moment, that moment has always stuck with me because if ever there was like a, a, if ever there was a time to break from the schedule if ever there was a time to be sensitive to what the spirit of god was doing and what the spirit of god was raising up it was then and as a youth minister like i wasn't there like i what i was there for was to see our students respond to jesus like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ultimately there to see how many cups they could stack and unstack in 30 seconds while getting, like, doused with whipped cream. You know, it's fun. It's not why I was there. Church fam, one of the, one of the things that I, I believe we, we must continually battle against in, in the church is getting out of the way of God's grace. Amen? That was wimpy. Eight o'clock was way more awake than that, okay? 
We got to get out of the way of God's grace. Amen? Amen. Y'all better buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> it's going to get more intense. I, I, don't, I don't think that, when I say get out of the way of God's grace, I, I, don't, I don't think that that was unique to that church camp experience. In the, in the church, we, we get so tied to uh, and, and tripped up by secondary things. And, and sometimes, I, I, I do, I wonder if we're actually getting in God's way. And I would just say, Christian, what, what, about, what about you? In your, in your own life and in your own walk with, with Jesus, what is impeding you from experiencing the grace of God in Christ? Are, are there things that are ultimately, uh, you're, you're clinging to that ultimately are not primary things? They're just, they're just not. Things that might actually be hindering others from experiencing God's grace through you. Because, see, this morning, we're going to take a look at a, a group of, of Jewish Christians, believers, that, man, they would have impeded God's grace. They would have impeded the gospel, but we'll see in Peter's response some key, I, I believe, some key principles that reveal how we can get out of the way of God's grace as God's moving in power to transform people's lives. First thing this morning, and, and, and again, we're going we're gonna to key in on verses 1 through 4, 15 through 18. But the first, the first point I want to make this morning is that we've got to see beyond distinctions to a common deliverance. Now, I'm going to unpack that. There's, there's more to that statement. But we've got to see beyond distinctions to a common deliverance. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, common deliverance. Look at your other neighbor, make sure they're awake, and say common deliverance. Awesome. I don't, I don't think you can overestimate the importance of the events of Acts chapter 10. Church, in the same way the events of Paul's conversion are repeated multiple times, the story of Peter and Cornelius uh, in the visions and their interaction, it is repeated multiple times throughout Acts. And ultimately, God's grace extended to the Gentiles and his incorporation of all peoples into his church, like, would, it, was, it would necessitate the, the coming together of church leaders at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Because at this point in Acts, everything is sort of building right now to this council in Acts 15. But look at verse 1. Let me just read 1 through 4 again. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. And I'll stop right there. See, in verse 1, here we, we see Peter's little Caesarea excursion uh, had not gone unnoticed by those back in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. And upon, upon his return, far from like an attaboy, right? Far from a, man, great job preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter, in verse 2, we see, is met with criticism. 
In the Greek, it, it just to, they, to, it means to express disapproval. Like they disapproved of what had gone down. And I want you to notice the language throughout the entire text, of, of specifically of 1 through 18. In verse 2, you have this juxtaposition between the, the uncircumcised, right, and the circumcision party. In verse 15, and also in verse 17, you have this motif of like us versus them. Us versus them. And so God, listen, God was at work. But these guys wanted to stay camped up and divided into groups based on ethnicity and nationality and culture. Do y'all hear me this morning? They wanted to stay camped up. And so let's, let's break down what was happening, church fam. Though, though some believe that Luke was, was referencing a, a specific organized group, the circumcision party. Listen, in the Greek, the, the Greek just reads those who were circumcised. So, so these, were, these weren't lost Jews. These were saved Jews. These were saved Israelites who, who were filled, presumably, with the Spirit of God. Peter, Peter had just returned from this evangelism trip where, where Cornelius, the, the Roman centurion, the Gentile Roman centurion, and his entire household had been gloriously saved after, the text tells us, receiving the Word of God. That, that is synonymous with they believe the gospel. They believe the good news of Jesus. And so in verse 3, I don't know if you notice this, a group made up of even some of the apostles. These were some of the original 12. Some of the apostles and brothers from throughout Judea, they, they come out and notice, notice their issue. God had miraculously saved he had moved in power. God was doing something new. Later, Paul would put it like this. God, God was creating something new. He was, he was making, creating one new man in place of two, Ephesians 2.15. And, and, and these guys are like, yeah, but y'all ate food with, with the uncircumcised. <laughs> really? Y'all ate food with the uncircumcised. Man, how dare, how dare they fellowship with people that God was saving? <laughs> and of course, listen, I, let's, let's understand what's going on. Of course, it was challenging their understanding of Scripture and what it meant to, to be the holy people of God. But, but listen, talk about, talk about missing it. But Peter, it, it really, Peter was experiencing exactly what Jesus had already walked through years before. Like, you don't have to turn there, but, but in Matthew 14, Jesus, Jesus walks on the water. Jesus is healing all these people who are sick. And in the same passage and in the same setting, Jesus had multiplied five loaves of bread and, and, and two fish, a couple of fish, he had fed thousands, thousands. And the Pharisees and scribes are like, y'all did not even wash your hands. <laughs> it's like, 
Yeah, but did you, did you not see the, the fish and the loaves? Uh, did, like, did you not see all the leftover baskets? And they're like, does anybody own some Germex? <laughs> what are we talking about? What are, what are we talking about? And, and so in Acts 11, according to the text, Cornelius, the, these Gentiles, they, they received the word of God. Verse 1, the Holy Spirit had fallen on them just like the Jews at Pentecost. Verse 15 and 16, God had imparted the, the, the gifts of his grace and his, the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, he had granted them the, the repentance that leads to life. Verse 18, and we've seen this throughout Acts, but the blueprint of Acts 1-8 was unfolding. God's mission to the nations was on full display. And Peter's testimony that day in, in, in verses 4 through 15 was giving evidence that everyone, everyone had access to God through repentance and faith in Jesus. Now, now one, one caveat is, is we look at that word repentance here in the Greek. Don't, don't think of repentance just in terms of, of turning from specific individual sins. That, that, that is, listen, in, in, in that Regard repentance becomes a, a, a fruit, an outwork, a, a work that, that flows from salvation. But here, repentance that leads to life, and, and it's this Greek word metanoia, and it entails a, a holistic shift in one's orientation towards sin. Y'all hear me this morning? It, it, metanoia, repentance that leads to life, entails a holistic shift in, in one's orientation towards sin. It is a complete reversal of allegiance and devotion. And, and so in that regard, church, repentance and faith become two sides of the same coin. Two sides. So, so what that means is, Believing certain things about Jesus entails understanding certain things about your sin and about your former manner of life and, and human nature. And so Peter, Peter tells his doubting Jewish brethren, God gave them the same gift. God gave them the same gift. Basically, we now share a common faith in Christ. We are both partakers of, of the same divine deliverance. Later, Paul, Paul would say this in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 7. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what is, what is Paul pointing later? What will he point the Ephesian church to? Unity in Christ. Oneness in our identity in a shared belief and rescue. Check this out. Affected and accomplished by God alone. Amen? 
So, so we gotta, we got to dive in on some application because if you think our stuff or our issues is unique to our day, listen, here, here's some app. Let's drop some application. What, what, what does this mean for you? What, what does this mean for the American church? It means we've, we've got to see beyond the distinctions and, and press in to our common deliverance. But, but here's what that doesn't mean. Ready? Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we ignore the distinctions. Amen? It, it may be well-meaning, but, but it's not helpful to say that you're colorblind. It's, it's, not, it's not helpful to disregard the distinctions because, listen, if God is the author of the mosaic, it was kind of his idea. Amen? It was his idea. And so let's also not disregard the baggage either. See, there, there are those, it's like we don't understand. There are those, even now, who in their racism and ignorance, who still want to perpetuate like this, uh, it's called the curse of ham theology. That, that uh, today, there's people who still espouse this, that, that say that those with darker skin are somehow cursed by God like ham was. Like, what are we talking about? What kind of, like, that's garbage. Or, or let's keep it real because my, listen, I, my, we talk about my roots. I, I, as far as my faith journey, there are things that I, I love about the Baptist church and, and growing up in, in SBC churches. But listen, we've got, to, we, we've got to keep it real. The Southern Baptist Convention was founded by, by Baptists in the South who split from the North as they intently advocated for, for slavery as a biblical institution. And it wasn't, church, listen, it wasn't until 1995, 136 years later, that the denomination publicly acknowledged and, and, and repented of their sinful origins. It's like this. When we walk through membership at, at Restoration Church Brown, when, when, we, when we go through the membership class, we, we talk about worship, <laughs> And one of the things we say is we are Christ-centered, but we are church body conscious. And so what does that mean? Among other things, it means that for my white brothers and sisters, though you may be used to worshiping like in pin drop silence, like our brothers and sisters of color, like they think they just walked up in the library. <laughs> or, or like a funeral, and we're supposed to be worshiping Jesus. <laughs> Rodney Wu, let, let, let me say this. We, we worship Jesus first and foremost, amen? But we are aware of how different people groups and ethnicities and cultures experience and respond to God, Amen? Rodney Wu, in his, in his book, the, the, the Color of Church, I've talked about this before, but he says, in a multicultural church, which is what? 
pretty much every church in the book of Acts was a multicultural church because that's how they rolled because they were, that's what, that's what God was doing. But he says in a multicultural church, everyone is going to be comfortable about 75% of the time. <laughs> and the other 25 is, is to remind you that it's not about you. <laughs> so even today for, for Restoration's vision, for, for a diverse, disciple-making local church, I, I'm reminded of the fact that it, historically it, it, was, it was the white church that started segregation. Right, And so I don't just naively assume that, that we, we put out the call to come together and, and everybody just snaps to, well, okay, like let's, let's do it. Let's have a kumbaya moment. No, there, there are real wounds, amen? Like there are, there's real hurt. But hear me, and if we don't believe this, we're in trouble. Hear me, the gospel is greater, Amen? The gospel is greater. And here's the key. Church, we got to fight for that big picture, that big picture biblical perspective. Let's, let's fight for spiritual sight. And, and though we may think it's a, like it's a uniquely American issue, listen, it's, it's not just about black and white. It's about all of us. It is about all of us embracing our shared deliverance from sin and death. Amen? Second thing. See, we're just getting to the second point. These will go quick. Second thing. Look at verse 17. It says, Peter says, or Luke says this. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Luke's writing this, Peter is saying this. Second point is this. Don't put up gospel barriers. Don't put up gospel barriers. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, gospel barriers. barriers. Look at your other neighbor and say, gospel barriers. barriers. Says, verse 17, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That stand again, in in, in the Greek, it's to hinder or to prevent. See, Peter, Peter could have buckled under pressure. He could have, after all, listen, we do get the sense that this, there was a, this was a significant group from Jerusalem. This was not like the B team. This wasn't, this wasn't the scrubs. There, there were some apostles that were a part of this group. And Derek Thomas says this, the circumcision party had a doctrinal and a social problem with what Peter had done. His apparent embrace of Gentile customs, Thomas says, offended them greatly. Let me say this. Peter wouldn't always do it perfectly either. Later in Galatia, he would, he would give in to some prejudiced temptation to disassociate from the Gentiles, right? So, so with the Galatian church, uh, James and some of the brothers show up and Peter pulls away and Paul rebukes him. He's like, man, what are you doing? Christ died for all of us. What are you, what are you doing? And, and let me just say this. Praise God that cancel culture didn't exist then. Because 
Peter, Peter would repent of that nonsense and come back to his senses. And check this out. After that incident in Galatia, which is after this, he would later write 1st and 2nd Peter. So, so if Peter gets canceled because he gave in to prejudice and racism, we don't have 1st and 2nd Peter in our Bibles. Praise God that there was room for repentance of sin. Amen? Church, Peter had seen the mission and movement of God. He, he and his six companions, they were eyewitnesses to the power of God at work in Cornelius' home. And he understood something. Listen, he, this is what he understood. Even with his previously held traditions and, and prejudices and experiences and convictions, he had a decision to make. He had a decision. Would he dig in in that moment and stubbornly try to hinder the work of God? Or would he allow God to change his heart and his mind? And see, this happens all the time. This happens all the time. It is the church that splits up over what color the carpet in the sanctuary should be while the apartment complex next door languishes and people are starving for the good news of the hope of the gospel. It's the family who, who chooses a, a church more, more based on their musical preference versus the actual mission of the church and whether they're not, uh, or not they're reaching people for Jesus and making disciples. And it's the American church that stays ethnically divided because it's more comfortable and it fits our preferences while we miss an opportunity to give the world a preview of the kingdom of God. Church, don't put up gospel barriers. Number three. Look at verse 18. It says this. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The third thing is this. Watch what you celebrate. Watch, watch what you celebrate. I want you to look at your neighbors and say, watch what you celebrate. <laughs> that was pretty wimpy. Look at your other neighbors and say, watch what you celebrate. <laughs> there you go. See, verse 18, verse 18 tells us that after hearing Peter's report, these Jewish believers, man, they fell silent. There was nothing they could say. Now, and, and though what happens next doesn't necessarily indicate that they all had this instant heart change, the text does reveal that they glorified God. They glorified God because His mercy had been poured out on the Gentiles. I've talked about this before. There are two value systems. There is the value system of this world that values self-righteousness, self-glory, self-preservation, and stuff. So anytime you see those things being lifted up and clung to and valued, that is a lost, broken world. And then there is God's value system 
that values ultimately his glory, but God values people. And God values mercy. Amen? Two value systems. In church, church fam, it was Luke, the author of Acts, who also wrote the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And if you think about the prodigal son, the story of the father, the son, the, the, the prodigal and the older son, I, I, I don't personally believe that the first couple of parables that, that lead up to the prodigal story are, are meant to be comparisons. I, I think they're meant to be contrasts. See, the, the world values its stuff. The world, the world values its, its money. See, Luke was letting us in on the value system of God. He was saying, hey, you, know, like, you, you celebrate your lost sheep when you find it. You, so, so the woman who loses her coin and finds we, like we celebrate our money when we find more money. God celebrates sinners who repent. It's a contrast. And if that's what God celebrates... We better learn to do the same. So let, me, let me break it down. Let me break it down like this. Beyond, beyond ethnicity, beyond tribe, beyond camp, ideology, politics, or any, or any of the things, church, we first and foremost, we should celebrate the most when people are responding to the gospel and being saved by Jesus. Amen? Like, that's the, that's the main thing that we should be celebrating. This week, Steph, Steph sent me a video of, of Ruthie, just a little short clip of Ruthie with her, with her pom-poms. And they, 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 they were picking up something at, at, like, the dollar store, and Ruthie saw these pom-poms and had to snag them because um, that's what you do when you're three. And, and so Steph sent me a video of Ruthie, like, doing this cheer, and the cheer was, like, dedicated to her brothers. So she's cheering on her brothers. Why? Because L Ruthie loves her brothers. <laughs> so she celebrates them. Her brothers, they love Minecraft <laughs> and Pokemon <laughs> and Legos. So that is what they celebrate, <laughs> What you celebrate is tied to what your heart holds most valuable. Let me say that again. What you celebrate is tied to what your heart holds most valuable. And if people who profess to follow Jesus don't celebrate God's mercy to all people, then their heart and their values are not God's heart. And they're not God's values. So let's not get it twisted. And, and, and so here, here's the application. You, you got to look in the mirror and ask, what do, what do I celebrate? What am I celebrating right now? See, when the, when the church celebrates what the lost world values instead of what God values, everybody loses. So if you're not celebrating people responding to Jesus and, and their eternities being changed, it's time for a heart check. 
It's time for a value check. I, I feel like, I mean, among the many things that troubles me about the American church, I'm looking around and I, and I look at what, we, what we're celebrating and, and like we're celebrating all these things, but I'm like, have we forgotten that the most important thing is that people know and trust Jesus and are saved from their sins? See, when you get more ramped up and excited about the cultural narrative or, or your ideology or your politics or your tradition or all these secondary things, that should be a wake-up call. It should be a wake-up call. Church, we celebrate new life in Christ. Amen? That's what we do. We celebrate rescue from sin. We celebrate repentance and redemption, and restoration. Because those are the things that God values. And, and if that's on the heart of God, it should be on our hearts. And if that's what God's celebrating, that's what we need to celebrate. I'll close with this. Recently, David Kinneman, who, who is the president of the Barna Group, he indicated uh, I think back in October or November that as many as 20%, 20% of American churches could close their doors within the next 18 months. And as the American church is in decline and as more and more Gen Z see the church as just sort of irrelevant, and, and, and as the language of the culture and the church like eerily begin to merge here here's the question that we aren't asking when did we get in the way of biblical grace what ha like what happened when did we get in the way of biblical grace and when will the remnant in in God's church rise and get back to the work of the biblical gospel it's interesting to know that historically, historically the, the, the hub of missionary sending and gospel movement, it, it shifted to the church at Antioch not long after Acts 11. I, I believe, sadly, it, I think it's likely that the Jerusalem church's narrow-minded, sort of mono-ethnic bias would spearhead this shift as Jerusalem was less and less relevant and was no longer the center of attention in God's plan. It is a sobering reminder to any church, any church, no matter the size, no matter the history, no matter how previously successful or, or popular it's been. When Listen, when we forsake our missionary role in, the, in our neighborhoods and in, uh, and in our cities and in the world, when we forsake our missionary in the world to all people, it may not be long before God's hand is removed from us. And so here's the call. Here's the call. A people who have been called by God cannot... Listen, we've been called by God's 
grace. Like Christian, if you have been called by God's grace, like we cannot afford to stand in the way of that same grace. The gospel is good news for all people. Christ crucified and raised is still the hope of the entire world. And if the church would would live like, like we believe that, then maybe a lost world would too. Y'all pray with me this morning.